Hey, good morning, MRCC. Thank you so much for joining us today for our online Sunday service. Hey, I invite you to stand with us as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. And also, here are a few ways that we can engage together in worship. The first one would be to be fully present today. You know, with this new format, we're going to face a lot of distractions, whether it's online or if it's the kids or the dog in the house. But let's make a choice to choose to be committed and engaged as we worship and hear God's word together. The second would be, hey, we can still be engaged together even though we are alone together in our homes. One of the ways is to like, share, and comment on this Facebook post. Or if you're watching on YouTube, go ahead and share it with your friends. We have a team of pastors in the comments on Facebook who would love to pray with you, chat with you, or just say hi. And make sure you like this post. And the final way to engage today would just be to worship, to open our hearts for worship. Let this be a spiritual time between you and the Lord. Prepare your heart, be in his word together, and let's listen for God's voice today. Let us worship together, church. You know, we are in a difficult time, and we get to choose to praise him. Despite the distractions in this world, there is freedom when we make that choice to praise our Lord and our Savior. So God, we worship you today. We praise you. We lift up the name of Jesus in this place. Lord, we choose to worship you. Through the good and bad, you reign through it all, Lord. Let's worship him, church. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now. same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Would you sing this with me, church? Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting years. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. I will bless your name Oh yes, I will sing for joy When my heart is heavy all my days Oh yes, I will for all my days Oh yes, I will I choose to praise To glorify by the name of all names Then nothing can stand against And I choose to praise To glorify, glorify The name of all names 
sing this together, church. I choose to praise, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Then nothing can stand against, and I choose to praise, yes, Jesus, to glorify, glorify the name of all names. Then nothing can stand against, oh, yes, I. worship you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, we face fear daily, it seems. But God, help us keep our eyes directed towards you. We are heading toward this beautiful Easter season where we get to celebrate our Lord Jesus. Father, let us never lose sight of who you are, our King, our Shepherd. It was from your own words that said, I am the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Wow. What a savior. Church, can we worship our king for who he is? We remember the gospel story. The power of the gospel reigns forever. Lord, we worship you. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt what more can we do but praise you lord praise the father praise the son praise the spirit three in one god of glory majesty praise forever to the king of kings you see is he worthy of our praise at all times to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross and for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation jesus for our sake you died yes let us praise him Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, 
regret till the stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored that's right and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not fade. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. again church praise forever to the king of kings yes see church the simple truth is he is so worthy of our praise his love is so powerful he is so just and faithful that what more can we offer but our hearts but this worship Lord, we declare who you are in our homes. We declare who you are in our lives, in our families, God. We thank you that the gospel is just as relevant now as it always has been, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, church. So good to worship with you. We're passing it on to Pastor Greg, who has today's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you on this uh, third Sunday of online services. I hope you're doing all right. I hope your morning's off to a good start. Uh, it's kind of weird, isn't it? We're all sort of discovering a new experience together. I can't tell you how many people I talked to this week who said, Pastor Greg, I was watching in my PJs. I was sort of half tempted to show up in my PJs this morning, but that probably wouldn't be good for anybody. It is great to see you. Uh, looking forward to sharing the Lord's Word with you this morning. If you have your Bible, grab it, open it to Exodus chapter 16 and, and Luke chapter 12, and let's spend a little time together in God's Word. Before you know it, we're going to be back together again. I'm looking forward to that. I did come across something pretty funny, though, this week. Uh, maybe you know who Ben Roethlisberger is, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Super Bowl winner, big star. Uh, ben evidently had some early exposure to the coronavirus, and so he quarantined himself a couple of weeks ago, and nobody heard anything from him for a while, and then uh, we found out a couple of days ago he popped up on social media looking like this. And so uh, maybe I can encourage you to get out, go for a walk, <laughs> make sure that doesn't happen to you uh, while you're down for these couple of weeks. Exodus chapter 16, uh, Luke chapter 12, and, and let me begin by asking you this morning, church, who is it that you trust? If you had to make a list of people that you trust deeply, 
Who would be on that list? The kind of people that maybe you would trust your kids with in an emergency or that you would trust to care for uh, your family in a crisis. Who, who are the people that you trust? Um, my wife will sometimes ask me uh, if somebody that I met or somebody that I've come to know a little bit is what I call a foxhole guy. That's my phrase. Somebody that I know won't panic under pressure. Somebody that I know can be steady in a crisis. When I was in the service, we would talk about foxhole guys. Who do you want in your foxhole? Because you know you can trust them. You know you can rely on them. Who are your foxhole people? Who are those that you trust deeply? You know, when I ask that question, I'm reminded that there are some of us who have people that we actually would look to and trust more than we trust God. Um, you heard about the little boy who was saying his prayers at bedtime with his mom while the family was staying at grandma's house and he prayed, Dear God, please bless mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and my sisters and my dog and please help us have a fun time tomorrow at the lake. And he went on like this for a little bit and then he stopped for a moment. And all of a sudden, he startled his mom by shouting as loud as he could, and please, God, don't forget to get me a bicycle for my birthday. And then he said, Amen. Mom was puzzled. She says, Honey, you don't have to shout like that when you pray. God is not hard of hearing. And the little boy said, I know, but Grandma is. <laughs> Who are the people that you trust? Who are the people that you look to? That little guy uh, thinks he knows what's really going on, but of course the truth is there's no one that we can trust more than God himself. Last week we remembered how God called Israel out of Egypt with a promise. And that promise was to deliver Israel from slavery to give them a new identity as his people, and then to bring them into the promised land. And that offer, when it was initially given, sounded great to Israel, and they embraced it with a whole heart. But then they were surprised when, in the course of bringing that promise true, God led Israel into the wilderness. When they embraced that promise, they didn't expect that. And last week we saw Israel cry out in fear and panic when they realized that this journey to the promised land would take them through the wilderness. And we talked about the fact that we're in a kind of wilderness now as the people of God, as we go through this crisis in our country. And God is calling us to understand that his promise to us still stands, but part of becoming his people and journeying to the promised land is going through the wilderness. We talked last week about how God doesn't call us to the wilderness, he calls us through the wilderness. And that it's in the wilderness that we are transformed in ways that we really can't be anywhere else. And this week we wanna pick up that story and go forward a little bit in the narrative and learn about what specifically God seeks to, to transform in our lives as we go through the wilderness. So we pick up the story in, in Exodus chapter 16. We'll be in Luke chapter 12 and Luke 11 a little bit. But we pick the story up in chapter 16 where God, like a good father, takes his sons and daughters to the next level which is learning how to trust him 
one day at a time. Exodus chapter 16, last week we read verses 1 to 3, and we heard Israel cry out in fear, finding themselves in the wilderness, and they said, you have brought us into this desert to starve. Of course, that was a false accusation. God had not brought them to the desert. He was bringing them through it. In verse 4, we begin to hear God's response. In verse 4, the Bible says that God, hearing Israel's fear, said to them, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. I'm going to provide for you here in the wilderness. I'm going to do it supernaturally. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Now, let's just stop and think about this a moment. Let me point something out. Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> there wasn't anyone in Israel in that moment whose eyebrows didn't shoot up at the prospect of God providing for them in that way. They couldn't have expected it. They wouldn't have anticipated it. They couldn't have predicted it. And the reality is that that's how God often works in our lives, through ways that we couldn't expect or anticipate. And one of the, the first steps of faith is to say to ourselves, my understanding of this situation isn't the last word. Because God intervenes in ways that we couldn't have expected. What you and I have known of him in the past isn't all there is. In the wilderness, he will meet us in ways we couldn't have predicted or anticipated. And part of what's happening here is God is teaching the people to trust and expect that. When um, Ron and I were, were young believers, a young married couple, new, new followers of Christ, and we came to church and they, uh, I don't know, six months, eight months in, they started to teach us about something called giving, about something called financial stewardship, and, and we had no background or experience with that. But what we were taught is that this is God's invitation for us to practically trust Him. And so we entered into that discipline all those years ago. We continue to this day, like many of you. And when we entered into that discipline, we had no idea how it would work. How could we give away some of what little we had and end up at the end in a better position? But that's exactly what God did. That's exactly what happens. Many of us can testify to that. And this is a moment like that. God is inviting us to trust Him knowing that He will meet us even in ways we can't anticipate or expect. It's kind of like that moment in The Matrix when Lawrence Fishburne says, open your mind, Neo. God's doing something like that in this moment with Israel. And the second half of verse 4 goes on to tell us that the people are to go out each day, now hear this, and gather enough for that day. That's a very specific and important instruction. You can hear the emphasis. And we might ask ourselves, why is that emphasis there? It's because, church, understand this. God isn't just trying to get things done in the wilderness. He's raising sons and daughters. Take that in for a moment. In the wilderness, he's not just trying to, to get through the business of moving Israel from point A to point B. In the wilderness, he intends to transform them into his people, a nation that would be blessed and that would be a blessing to the world around them. That's his goal. That's his purpose. Not just to get them through the wilderness, but to transform them 
in the wilderness to make them his people. There's an old story that I love about two corn farmers in Iowa. I think I may have shared it before, but uh, the short version goes like this. There were two farmers. They had adjacent farms, and they both had sons they were raising. And the one farmer would often give his son time off to, to attend uh, you know, school functions, to participate in sports, to be involved around town. But the other farmer wouldn't allow his son very many opportunities to do the same. And the first father would often uh, give the second farmer a hard time. And he would say, hey, my farm's the same size as yours. We both raise corn the same, sell it in the same places. He said, I know that you don't have to demand that much of your son. Why don't you give him more freedom? Why don't you give him more uh, away time from work? You don't need to ask that much of him in order to raise corn. And the second farmer says, you misunderstand. I'm not raising corn, I'm raising sons. And something like that is what God is doing with Israel in the wilderness. He says, I want you to only gather enough manna for one day at a time. And he goes on in verse four to tell Moses, to explain to Moses, in this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. You know, here's the reality. Good parents test their kids sometimes, not to fail them, but to advance them, to graduate them, to build their confidence, to prepare them for the future. That's a key part of parenting. It's a key part of coaching. It's a key part of teaching. I remember when I was first learning to play soccer seriously and they had us do all these silly little exercises where we would jump around the ball in circles and touch the ball with different parts of our feet and roll around on the ground with the ball at our knees and I remember thinking this is dumb. But it was much later that I understood that it wasn't dumb. It was causing me to become aware of my feet. <laughs> Most of us don't grow up aware of our feet, at least not in the intense way that's required when you're playing soccer. But once you become aware of your feet, you become able, capable of a lot of things that you weren't when you weren't aware of them. In the same way, God seeks to make you and me aware of his living presence in our lives. And many of his commandments have to do with this, becoming aware of him. This giving of manna, comes from that same uh, agenda. I remember reading a, a study done at Western Washington University in October of 2009. It was a study of awareness. And uh, what the students did was they, uh, they uh, had a, a, a member of the class who had a clown suit and a unicycle. And uh, they asked him to go to a central city park, a plaza where people were constantly uh, passing back and forth. And they had him ride, this guy dressed in a clown costume, ride the unicycle continuously around the plaza. And they would watch when students walked through the plaza who were on their cell phones. And what they would do is after the student crossed the plaza, they would approach him and ask, hey, did you notice the clown on the unicycle? And what they discovered was amazing, two thirds of the students who were paying attention to their phone were completely oblivious to the fact that a clown on a unicycle was near them. They were unaware of it because of their level of distraction. In the same way, we tend to get distracted so that we lose our awareness of God. And when you're aware someone is watching, it causes you to, to behave according to your best self. God wants to do that with Israel.
in the wilderness. And so he offers to provide for them, but he does it in such a way that their attention is constantly recaptured, reoriented towards him. You know, we might expect Israel, kind of as an aside in this moment, we might expect Israel to have no doubts. After all, they'd seen the plagues and the whole Red Sea parting and Pharaoh's army defeated, miracle after miracle. But the truth about human nature is that experiencing those things didn't move them beyond their fear. They just moved on to the next fear, which is fear of starving in the wilderness. God knows that that's human nature. And what he seeks to do is to build faith in him personally that overcomes that part of our human nature. You know, the truth is that God could have just dropped wagons full of enough bread for the whole trip. But then Israel would not have learned to seek his face, but only his hand. He would have been teaching them that he's a sugar daddy, and what he wanted to teach him instead is that he's a father. Now, let me just challenge us this morning. Let me challenge you. Do you seek his hand or his face? It's in the seeking of his face that we overcome fear. It's, that's where we overcome worry and anxiety, not in seeking only his hand. You know, when I, when I think of illustrations of this, I think of our dog at our house, uh, Ellie. And, and Ellie loves most whoever has food at the moment. If I'm walking through the house with cookies, she's my best friend. If mom's walking through the house with biscuits or crackers, she's mom's best friend. And her, her attention is totally captured by whoever has food in their hands. That's fine if you're just a dog. But if you're a human being, then God is seeking a deeper connection with you. He's aiming higher. He's looking for more. This one day at a time thing is a big deal because you and me are going through our wilderness one day at a time as well. And our Father is aiming to teach us the very same kind of faith. Even in this moment, even in this experience that we are sharing, His agenda is to teach us faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please Him because that's His Father agenda in our lives. Are, are you cooperating with that lesson or seeking to avoid it? You cooperate by understanding that God wants to continually recapture your awareness one day at a time. And so you wait on Him to provide one day at a time. You know, the story goes on in Exodus chapter 16 down verses 11. The scripture says, The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, in the evening you will eat meat, in the morning you will be filled with bread. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God. But again, one day at a time. He says, I, I hear their prayers, I hear their fears, and in the same way, he hears yours. Even when your prayer is a, a grumbling prayer, he hears you, just as he hears Israel in this moment. But his agenda remains the same, and that is to grow you above and beyond that. And verses 13 and following of chapter 16 tell us this. In the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? That's actually, it's, it's the Hebrew phonetics for what is it that is what we uh, call today manna. Uh, that's what it sounds like. What is it? Manna. For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, this is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. If you skip ahead to verse 31, you find out that it was good stuff, tasted like wafers made with honey. Not bad, it was quality stuff. And the scripture tells us as well in verses 13 and following that there was enough. There was enough to meet everyone's need 
one day at a time. Whether their need was great or whether their need was small. Whether their household was large or whether their household was small. And Moses said, each of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person in your tent as much as he needs for a day. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. He who gathered much did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. You know, today we call that the toilet paper rule. <laughs> when you go to the store, gather as much as you need. Not too much, not too little. Uh, don't hoard. But seriously, how often do you reach for more than you need? Well, there's a question worth thinking about. By reaching for more than we need, we unlearn the lesson God is seeking to teach us, and we fall back into the pattern of fear and worry and anxiety because our focus goes to what we have instead of God's promise to provide. And Moses called their attention to this. Verse 19 of chapter 16 says, Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Why? Again, so that the people would be reminded every day that God personally was their provider because that was his real agenda. He wasn't just feeding them, he was fathering them. And he wanted to build a relationship like any good parent does. You know, to kind of understand where God's coming from, sort of flip the script and put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel if someone wanted a relationship from, with you just so they could get something from you? You know, I, I've noticed in the, over the years in church that if somebody reveals that they're a, a, a mechanic or a, a doctor or a nurse or a builder, uh, very often folks tend to kind of take advantage of that. Hey, would you help me out with this? Would you do this for free? Would you take care of this problem? And, and very often folks with those skills find themselves just besieged by people who it feels like just want to know them so they can get something from it. And as you're kind of thinking about that scenario, then ask yourself this, how would you feel if the person who just wanted a relationship with you in order to get something from you was your son or daughter? <laughs> it wouldn't feel good. You'd be uncomfortable with that. Why? Not, not because you were insulted, but when it's your child, you're upset because you're trying to teach them something. Because you want a relationship with them in, when, in which they can personally trust you. I remember when our son Isaiah was a teenager and, you know, being a teenager, he would often ask to borrow money. And when he would, I, I would often negotiate a, a little deal with him and then I'd lend it to him. And then if, you know, like teenagers sometimes do, if he sort of never got around to paying it back, then I would nag him. Then I would keep reminding him of it. But if he came and paid me back promptly, I would often say, you know what, son, just keep it. It's my gift to you. I love you. And what was I doing in that? I was trying to teach him something. I was trying to teach him something about my relationship with him, about how I felt about him. I was trying to teach him something about being our son in the world and to be an example. And yeah, you can see that easily. God is doing that here in the wilderness with Israel. Now, the scripture tells us in verses 19 and 20 that there were those who didn't really go along with the program. The Bible says, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Instead, they kept part of the manna until morning. But what did they discover? When they got up the next morning, it was full of maggots and began to smell. And so the scripture says Moses was angry with them. Now, now stop for a moment. Why do you think they gathered more? 
You know, the truth is everybody would have been tempted to do that. They knew tomorrow was coming. And there was this temptation to, to control tomorrow. That temptation is still there. We still wrestle with that. In an effort to control tomorrow, some of the Israelites disobeyed God. They tried to control tomorrow by having more of what he had given today. We do it by trying to have more money than we really need. By trying to manage our reputation, control how people perceive us. We do it by trying to make other people do what we want them to do. There's a million ways in which we can find ourselves tempted to disobey God because we're trying to control tomorrow. But what Exodus is telling us is that for God's sons and daughters, he won't let that work. The reality is, hear me now, church, you can't overcome anxiety and worry and fear by trying to control your tomorrow. You can only overcome it by learning to trust a Father God with your tomorrow. That's incredibly significant and important. God wants to shrink your focus down to today and eternity. He wants you to live in each day expecting Him to meet you in it and by living one day at a time, learn to trust Him. We call this being local. We call it being micro instead of macro. See, here's the way the world works. The world wants to tell you about all the possible actions that Congress is going to take and get all your focus on that. Because then when your focus is there, you won't be paying attention to God today and you'll be tempted to disobey him by trying to control your tomorrow. In the wilderness, God wants to shrink our journey with him down to one day at a time. Who needs your help today? Who needs you to pray for them today? Who needs you to reach out and connect with them today? God wants to, to bring us back to this experience of living one day at a time because that's how we learn to trust him personally. Getting, uh, you know, getting us through this wilderness is his agenda, but even more than that, it's getting us to trust him in the midst of it. Because that trust, as we know, knowing the story ahead of time, is going to be needed even more in the promised land on the other side if we're going to become his people. The answer to worry and anxiety isn't abundance. It's not filling your garage with toilet paper. The answer to anxiety and worry is faith. Jesus picked up on this when he taught us how to pray. Luke chapter 11 tells us that the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray like you do. It's obvious that the power in your life flows from your prayers. Teach us how to pray like that. And, and Jesus responded and he gave them a, a pattern for prayer. You find that in verses two to four of Luke chapter 11. The Lord said, when you pray, Greg, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, rule me. May your leadership enter my life today. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And, and lead us not into temptation. Steer us away from temptation. Notice the emphasis when it comes to bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray beyond today. It doesn't mean that we can't. It does mean that praying today is more important. 
And he went on after teaching them that to, to explain why he was teaching that. Verses 22 to 24 of chapter 12, the Lord says, I tell you, Greg, don't worry about your life in this wilderness of coronavirus quarantine. Don't worry about what you will eat or your body or what you will wear. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. What's going to happen in this time in the wilderness inside of us is more significant than what happens outside of us. He said, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. And yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. When the Lord said that, he meant for us to grab on to the fact that to God, we are sons and daughters. We are his children. He cares deeply for us. And because of that, we can count on his providing for us through, through this wilderness experience. And the Lord went on to say, Luke chapter 12, verse 29, uh, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagan world, those who don't know God as Father, they run after all these things. All you got to do is stop by your local Costco and see what that looks like. Your Father knows you need them. But seek His kingdom, Jesus promised, and these things will be added to you as well. It's an echo of what God did with Israel in the wilderness. One day at a time, I'm going to provide for you. So just receive that provision one day at a time and trust me for tomorrow. Your Father knows what you need. Another way to put this, church, and we're almost done today, is that God's provision, God's promise to take care of you, is a byproduct of obedience. And when we set out to obey Him, that's how we assure ourselves of His provision. And you know, it's very real that maybe the best or maybe the only place we can learn this is in the wilderness. That's why God leads us through it, not to it, but through it. That's what he's doing now in our lives as we go through this crisis. I love the story that James Lovell tells. He, he was a U.S. Navy pilot, a decorated pilot, who later became an astronaut and participated in two Apollo missions to the moon. He's the character played by Tom Hanks in the movie Apollo 13. Maybe you remember that. But he tells a story from his time as a combat pilot during the Korean War. He was returning from a mission. It was dark. It was a moonless, cloudy night. And he was trying to find his aircraft carrier. Enemy radio jamming had left him unable to contact the ship or, or to locate it so that he could land. So pitch black over the ocean. He was lost in the air at sea. And as he got lower and lower and on fuel, he began to think that he was going to have to ditch. And things just kept getting worse. Due to some damage from flying his mission, all the electrical displays in his cockpit suddenly shorted out and plunged him into total darkness in his airplane. His first thought was, what am I going to do now? But he said, what happened right after that, he will never forget. He says, it was so dark in the cockpit that I, I literally couldn't see my hand in front of my face. But because it became so dark, he said he was able for the first time to notice the faint trail of phosphorescent algae in the ocean below. It's the trail stirred up by his ship as it passed through the ocean. And the phosphorescence became visible only because 
uh, of the darkness that he found himself in. As a consequence, he was able to follow that trail of algae and land safely on his airplane, after, or on, his, on his ship. He said afterwards that the truth is he could never have seen the algae if the cockpit hadn't gone dark. In the same way, in this time of trial, God seeks to teach us something that is best learned here. It's a preparation for the future. It's the way to overcome anxiety and worry. It's what he's doing in your life. In the wilderness, we learn stuff we just can't learn elsewhere, which is why God leads us through it, not to it. So the challenge for us this morning is, will we trust him? Will we allow him to take care of our tomorrow while we focus on being obedient to him one day at a time. Let me finish with a few simple steps to doing that, how to walk through the wilderness. If you're taking notes, there's four of them. We'll be done in just a couple of minutes. Number one, and this was Jesus's point, commit yourself to daily prayer in this season. And I would challenge you, I would even get a little more specific. This is I, not the Lord, but I would challenge you to commit yourself to the Lord's prayer out loud, daily, at the start of your day. That's what I do. That's my habit. It works tremendously. Uh, the way it works for me is I usually get up in the morning and go for a run. I love to run in the dark in the early morning when nobody else is around. And I get to the end of my run and I get back to the porch and I, I just kind of sit there and then I tip back and rest my head on the patio and then I enter into my time of prayer. I start with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, if somebody drove by and saw me there with my hands raised praying, they'd probably think I was crazy. But the truth is, that moment sets the tone for my whole day, and it is precious beyond measure to me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. God wants you to discover that kind of connection if you haven't already. And that happens in daily prayer. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 17, said this, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. That word pattern refers to a, a habit of spiritual discipline. Let me invite you to begin every day in this wilderness journey, and, and far beyond it, but to begin it with the Lord's Prayer. Out loud, find your quiet place. Enter into daily prayer. This is how God will lift you above worry and fear and anxiety. The second thing, there's four things. The second thing is to be willing to take your tests. In verse 4, chapter 16 of Exodus, God said, In this way I will test them. Remember, the purpose of a test isn't to flunk you, it's to graduate you. It's to prepare you, it's to move you on. Embrace this wilderness journey as a test in which you can learn obedience. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's the testing of our faith that turns us into what I call foxhole guys, people who can be relied on to be God's people, no matter whether it's in the wilderness or the promised land. Athletes and soldiers and uh, musicians talk about muscle memory. It's through the testing that that muscle memory is built. God wants to build yours in this journey. So say to God, hey, I embrace your test in this season. I willingly enter into this. I'm going to trust you one day at a time. Third is trust God more than your understanding. Israel could never have anticipated that God was going to give them manna from the sky every morning. In the same way in each of our lives, he works in ways we can't figure out, predict, or even anticipate ahead of time. 
And he does that on purpose because he wants our faith not to be in what he does, but in who he is. So trust God more than yourself. Proverbs tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that great old passage in Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Trust him more than your own understanding. And then finally, the last one, number four. Remember, as we've been saying all along, we are going through the wilderness. This isn't our destination. This is the place we go through to get there. Some of the people of Israel would learn this lesson of faith by the end of the story, and some wouldn't. Joshua was young, but he learned this lesson of faith. Caleb was an old dog, but he learned new tricks. He learned this lesson of faith. Anyone can. The question is whether we will. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God because he is a father seeking to teach us to trust him. You know, church, the truth is, and you know this in a part of your heart and mind, you just need to remember it, this wilderness will not last. We will move beyond this moment. We will move beyond this season. And when we do, what will matter is who we were in the midst of it. God wants to turn us into his people in the midst of it. He wants to do that in you, in your family, in your situation, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your church. He wants to turn us into his people. And that happens as we trust him one day at a time. You know, being a parent of a teenager is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But when I look back on that experience now, I realize how deeply God was shaping not only our son, but Rhonda and I through that experience. I learned so much about the fatherhood of God through that wilderness journey. And in the same way, God seeks to teach us in this one. So let me invite you to own this, to step up, to realize God is turning us into his people through the wilderness and to be unafraid of it. He is going to provide for you. He's going to provide for us all the way through. We learn that as we put our attention on him. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you for this wilderness teaching that you engaged in with your people, that Jesus calls our attention to and invites us to incorporate into our daily journey. God, we thank you for this promise. Teach us to rest in it. Teach us to embrace it, to own it. Not to try to figure out what's gonna happen next week, next month, next year, or on the other side of the country, or what the government might do next. Lord, teach us to trust you one day at a time. And teach us, God, through that, to find the peace that passes understanding, that overcomes all anxiety. God, I ask your blessing on every home, every person, every family hearing this right now. Help them to hear you, inviting them to know you more deeply than before, to know you as Father and as provider. Bless us as we learn that. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you one day at a time. We'll see you soon. Go with God, tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.